Slate Plus members, it's survey time again, which means it's your chance to tell us what you think about Slate Plus and Slate in general. It'll only take a few minutes and you can find it at slate.com slash survey. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Grace Lavery, a professor of English at UC Berkeley whose new memoir, Please Miss, will be published by Seal Press in 2022. All right, this next letter is yours to read. The subject line is Infidelity Groundhog Day. Dear Prudence, I have been married for over 30 years, and we have four adult children who no longer live with us. During this pandemic, my husband has suddenly begun an emotional affair with a student of his who is here on a visa. I found out about the relationship two months ago, and it is totally inappropriate. First, because he is her professor, and second, I've seen the communication, and they are not just friends. They have pet names for each other, and he sends her romantic fantasy audios. He sees her on Zoom, and they flirt in private chats. They send daily emails, including good morning and good night. I have given him an ultimatum, me or her, and he has finally realized what he has done to our marriage and has fessed up to the emotional affair. He said he of course picks me, but I don't know that I can ever trust him again. I never doubted him until I knew something was off and I did some snooping. He has never met her in person, and this has all happened online during COVID. I don't know if I even know him anymore, and he continues his behavior until she leaves the country because he is now worried about his job. How do I move on from this as I see it as a betrayal of our marriage? She doesn't know he is married, and I have her address, email, and phone number, and I'm tempted to let her know, but I just don't know what to do. I've tried to get counseling, but no one is taking my insurance. There's a lot here that's really distressing, obviously. Um, I want to start with... I think we can get to the emotional stuff later. I think we can get to the way that it affects the letter writer's marriage later. But I think the most important thing is the well-being of this guy's students and, you know, contacting his department head. Um, I'm going to say that for me, the most important thing is finding an affordable counseling service. Um, there are actually plenty of online counseling services that have spread, sprung up during COVID times where people work on a sliding scale. I, I know of a couple of different services that are providing an hour of therapy for 50 bucks um, at a time. So I would say if you can look for cheap online therapy, um, not that I'm trying to tell you that your feelings are bad or that you need therapy, but it sounds like you need someone to talk to and, um, and you deserve someone to talk to. And, and it seems that on a more ongoing basis, that's a, um, a, a good bet and a good investment of your time. Um, so that, that that's where I'll start. But I, but I do think that you're right to address the students' needs and, and, and take it away. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the letter writer is is still kind of in this mode of thinking of this student as the other woman. And like, I kind of want to get in touch with her and say, hey, he's married. I don't know if you knew that, but you should back off. Whereas you should, in fact, be um, thinking of this young person as a student who is being sexually harassed by her professor. Um, I think this is something where you need to be contacting the department head. 
and notifying them of what your husband is doing. And um, he will probably be investigated as a result. He may suffer consequences. It's possible he would lose his job. I don't know if he has tenure or not, but... um, They've been married for 30 years, so one can assume that at the youngest, he would be in his mid to late 40s and more likely older. You know, if he doesn't have tenure, but he's working as a professor, uh, it, it would be likely he'd have security of employment in some respect. This is not a major concern at all, and it doesn't have any bearing on what you're saying. I'm just picking apart a puzzle. Yeah, but um, no, your, your, your first move here should not be to try to talk to her and get her to break things off with him. It should be to report him. I mean, among other things, I, I don't know if this young person's residency is dependent on her status as a student, But the fact that she's here on a visa also just means she's in an increasingly risky and vulnerable situation compared to him. Um, And so you should be thinking of her as a student towards whom he is, you know, really defaulted on his duty of care towards, um, not not just the other woman. Yeah. Okay. So I wonder if I'm going to see this slightly differently. And and I... I, I think it's a difference in emphasis, but I, I, I remember when I first read this letter a while back when you first sent it to me, I was trying to figure out what the sort of what, what the manifest content of this relationship might be. Because I always, whenever ever I hear the phrase emotional affair, there's part of me that goes to like, I, I, I find it really difficult to know what that phrase means. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get some details here. Um, romantic fantasy audio which I guess could be like recordings of stories, good morning and good evening text messages, um, intimate communications and pet names. But as far as I can see, there's no claim of anything that would constitute a sexual transgression. That's not to say it couldn't be in violation of Title IX. It very easily could be. Um, I just don't have enough knowledge here of the first-hand situation to know what this is. The two other factors to bear in mind here. Um, one... The, we don't know anything about the age of the student. The stu- it makes a huge difference whether the student is, for example, an 18-year-old freshman or indeed anyone of normal college age or someone who is either a senior graduate student or, I mean, not that that would make it okay, I'm just saying it means something different, or a returning student of advanced age. Um, those things could be interpreted or understood in different ways. And the nature of the work on some level matters too. I am trying to think about this in these terms because I know as a professor and as a teacher that I have had close friendships with graduate students that I worked with for a period of years. Um, They never got to the stage of good morning and good evening text messages. They never got to the stage of like sending romantic fantasy audio and certainly nothing could ever constitute an emotional affair. But what I mean is... Um, in the absence of concrete information about what's happening here, which I don't feel I really have, I wonder whether there is a way to talk about this this person's way of being a teacher um, that might, might lead to a broader conversation about what is the relationship between the intimacies, the intellectual intimacies and professional intimacies that one forges at work and then the intimacies that one forges out of work. What exactly are the lines? Where where does one draw them? Um, and, and how exactly does one draw them? Um, those questions 
in, in some ways, there are very, very easy answers to those questions. Don't have sex with your students. Don't do this. I mean, we, we know those. But there are difficult questions as well as the easy ones. And to me, some of this material seems to speak to some of that. None of that, none of that um, is to contradict anything that Danny said exactly, because I think you're, I think Danny's quite right. You have enough information at this moment. And certainly once your husband has used the phrase emotional affair, I think you have an ethical obligation to speak to um, a Title IX officer that has responsibility for the student um, or for the unit of instruction. And I think you you should do that. But I I, I also would encourage you to have that, that broader theoretical conversation. So, the subject of this next letter is polytrauma trauma. I appreciate the rhyming. That's that, a great rhyme. Yeah, that was a good amount of... Actually, um, when I first read this one, I, I, I was trying to make it in my head polyamor drama trauma. I love you. I love you too, Danny. All right, so I'm going to read this one. Dear Prudence, I'm polyamorous. About four years ago, I met a man in a polyamorous relationship with another woman. He and I got together casually, but ended up falling in love. Several months later, his relationship with his girlfriend came to a tumultuous end. But for financial reasons, she still needed to live with him. I lent him money so they could rent a two-bedroom apartment. But they could not afford to furnish it and still had to share a bed. I did not think much of this until he told me about five months after moving to this apartment that he had initiated sex with her several times. He said that he did this when he was feeling stressed out about finances and other things and was looking for comfort. He said that he did not think about how this decision might affect me until afterwards when he deeply regretted it. He waited so long to tell me because he knew that it was an ongoing temptation and was afraid of coming clean to me about it and then doing it again anyway. He felt and still feels enormous guilt and shame about this. Without denying or downplaying what he did, I forgave him and we've done a lot to work through it together. While everyone is in a better place now, this betrayal still affects our otherwise wonderful relationship. It took me a long time to understand and accept that it traumatized me. I have unpredictable, extreme emotional and bodily reactions sometimes when he has sex with other people, even when I know about the sex in advance and otherwise feel okay about it. Recently, he and I quarantined and got tested together so we could see a long-distance partner of ours who had done the same. One night, we had all planned to have sex together, but I was feeling very tired. I rested on the couch trying to see if I could get a second wind while they started having sex. As has happened in the past, my heart rate went through the roof. I became virtually unable to speak for about 15 minutes and I started shivering. My two partners stopped having sex and were very supportive. I felt really embarrassed about cock-blocking everyone while my primary partner felt really bad that something he'd done in the past was still affecting me this way. I truly have no interest in limiting my partner's sexual and romantic interactions with other people. I think it would be unfair to ask him to be monogamous while I am polyamorous. I also don't think I can meet all of his needs for sex, touch, and connection, nor do I think I should have to. In the months before the pandemic, he was dating a lot of people and it was really difficult for me. The pandemic put a stop to that, which has given me some relief, but has been really hard on him. I'm afraid that when it becomes possible to start going on more dates and having casual sex again, I'm going to spend a lot of time having panic attacks. I want to be happy for him when he has sex with other people, but sometimes I feel happy for him and sometimes I feel miserable and there doesn't seem to be a lot of rhyme or reason to it. I love him dearly. Our relationship and sex are amazing and we both want to spend our lives together but I also know that this makes my life really hard and I'm not sure how to move forward. 
We talk about this together quite openly, and I've discussed it extensively with my therapist, but I would really appreciate the perspective of someone who is more distant and frankly, less sympathetic. What can we do to make this situation easier for both of us? Ah, uh, polydrama trauma. I just, I have so much love for this letter writer. I, I really, um, I, I really appreciate the work that this person has done to try to survive this this trauma, which which sounds devastating. Um, I, I think I do have a kind of like quick suggestion. I mean, I, don't, I guess that's what we're supposed to do, make little suggestions. I think that for the time being, you should consider putting a moratorium on polyamory and discuss amongst yourselves what would feel safe to reintroduce. That is to say, not to continue with the assumption that your relationship will uh, revert to a kind of previous state of multiple romances and sex, but that you can reintroduce them after a period where you've really understood what it is that you need from each other. And, and that may involve, I mean, of course it may involve breaking up. What you're talking about is a very, very, very profound betrayal of trust uh, with a shitty excuse. Shitty excuse. I was worried about money, so I fucked my ass. I want to add to that too, just while we're on that subject. Yeah. He says that he had sex with her because he was stressed about money. And you mentioned that this was a time when you were giving him money. Yeah. So the like, the bit there that I'm not quite sure that, I don't know if this is a connection you have made, letter writer, despite having discussed this extensively with your therapist and others. But what this guy said to you was, I feel so bad that you're giving me money that I have to fuck somebody else and lie to you about yeah. it. To me... I know you said you wanted somebody less sympathetic. You sound to me like a really thoughtful, compassionate, sensitive person. Yeah. It seems like your relationship to polyamory has predated this guy. Absolutely. And like there are definitely conditions and circumstances under which polyamory makes you really happy and enables you to flourish. I affirm that. I think that's fabulous. I think this guy is garbage. I think this guy is a piece of shit. I think anyone who says, thanks for the cash, it made me feel so bad I fucked somebody else, is a person who um, you cannot rely on, is a person who will exploit your vulnerabilities, is a person who will try to make you feel guilty for helping them, and is fundamentally a person you cannot trust. So I think for all that he's been doing a big show of feeling guilty and ashamed all this time, I think his... Shame, shame is what made him fuck this other person. Exactly. I think this whole guy's like romanticization of his shame own shame is, is not, the problem. Shame is not a good solution to the situation he's in. Honesty is a good solution to the situation he's in. I think I am maybe more inclined to be slightly... Um, more optimistic about the possibility of salvaging this relationship. Um, clearly, I agree that ending it is a very r realistic possibility. I so I, I I agree that he has really profoundly betrayed a trust, and he has sort of perpetuated that breach in trust many times. And I get the impression, I mean, see, this is, this is the thing. What it sounds like to me is a relationship which is sort of built around a trauma um, that is built around a lie and a really cruel, shitty, self-deluding um, thing that someone has done. Um, you are going to need to pull that scab off and you are going to need to rage about it. And he is going to need to see that you are not buying his dumb excuses anymore. Um, and if he can't see that, and he won't avow that, he can't own that, I can't see how you can move to a place um, on the other side of this, what we're calling trauma, which, which I think is trauma, I think it's the right thing to call it. Um, 
there is, however, enough in this letter, and specifically, I think, um, in your really careful reflections on what you want in a relationship, that when you say you love him and that you love the relationship, I don't quite see that as self-deluding in the way that we thought the kind of fat phobic guy was self-deluding. I'm glad that you said that too, because now that I've gotten some of my initial anger at this yeah. guy off of my chest, I also had that same response. And often when people say that in a letter, I yeah. don't buy it. No, I agree. But I, I did feel like that was genuine. And, and I also want to point out, you know, his response, your lover's response when you were having a panic attack in the moment was good. I'm not going to throw them a ticker tape parade. It yeah. was just sort of basic what you do when someone is having a panic attack. Um, but as much as I detest the way that he behaved for the first six months of your relationship, and as much as I suspect that his um, performances now of guilt and shame are partly designed to keep you from actually working through your anger. And to keep him from working through his shame. And one of the things that makes shame such a really useless method of... Um, ethical self-care, right? as in a way, it, shame does not make us act better. Shame tends to make us act worse. And the answer to that, the detoxification of that, involves getting honest exactly about how we're hurting other people. Right. And for him to, for example, work through what was the self-serving nature of the lie that he told you, which was, well, I had to lie to you because I thought if I told you the truth and then I did it again, that would be worse. He's telling you that there was a really good reason that was about protecting your feelings that made him lie to you. That's not true. He lied to you because it made his life easier and because he wanted to keep fucking somebody else and to not have to deal with your thoughts or reactions to it. I want to, I, I have said fucking someone else you twice. You have said fucking someone else three or four times. I want to be a little careful here because there's something about that language which is a little instrumentalizing of this other person and mm -hmm. we have to assume that this ex was also a willing participant and you know i don't think it's a purely passive relationship we could say having sex with or sort of being intimate with um i'm just registering in myself a kind of discomfort with how i'm talking about that so i wanted to catch that i think that's good too especially because you know we're we're talking about a relationship where the language simply of you fucked someone else is not the automatic sort of throwing down the glove, you did the bad thing, I'm good, uh, that often is the case in other types of relationships. A and I think that's part of what's so frustrating is the circumstances of your two getting together sounds complicated. You thought it would be casual, you ended up falling in love. Um, his relationship with his other partner at the time fell apart, and that's complicated. And I think part of why I feel so frustrated about this is I think you were already making it pretty clear that you understood the complicated nature of that breakup. And I think had he come to you and said, we just slept together, I want to tell you, I'm sorry. I know that that kind of goes against the conversations that we've been having. And part of me wants to do it again. I think you could have had that conversation with him really well. I think based on your honesty about your own relationship to polyamory at the beginning of this relationship, I think you two could have had that conversation and it wouldn't simply have been, I can't believe you've done this you know, you you would have been able to work through it well. And so part of, I think, why I'm frustrated with him is he he treated it like everything about sex, desire, or violating a boundary is like all you can do is act like a monogamous couple, you know, like treat it as a buried secret, as a shame, as something that can never be got over. as an irresistible. Yeah, and I, I really think part of what you want, um, letter writer, out of your polyamorous relationships is the sense of, I don't expect that I will fulfill all things to you. So it's not necessarily painful to me when we address that reality. But what I do need from you is stability, honesty, straightforwardness, 
the ability to let me feel my anger when you do fuck up. And I, I think that's the thing that angers me here. Not, you know, it really makes sense to me that as he was breaking up with a long-term partner and they were still living together, that they slept together. Yeah. That's not, wow, how could that have happened? No, absolutely. No, you know, it, it's an opportunity to reflect too that one thing that I admire about people who write and think about polyamory a lot is that they often have a really good understanding of sex as a series of choices that one can make and desire as a series of conditions that can precipitate choices and understanding the difference between those two things. Um, to me, that's so much more persuasive than a kind of more traditional or straighter or more mono-minded theory of sex as organized around compulsion and irresistibility. Um, I think that polyamory actually gives people a lot of tools for resisting precisely the language of shame that he's introducing into this conversation and um, for working it, working it through both in his own understanding of his sexual conduct and um, working it through relationally in his relationship with you. I think that's such a good point. Yeah, I mean, when I read that letter, I think the thing that makes me the angriest is not he slept with his ex-girlfriend a few times. It's that as he was trying to apologize to me, he tried to justify that behavior by saying, I knew I'd probably want to do it again. And so I figured I should withhold the truth from you. And that to me is is the truly, um, that's, the, that's the big transgression that I, I think is hard to get past. And so... You know, you say, letter writer, that you felt really embarrassed. I, I get that. I, I understand what it's like to feel embarrassed when you have a big reaction in front of people. But the point of having multiple relationships or meeting a lover for a threesome is not have the maximal amount of sex no matter the cost. It's, you know, make sure that we're all doing well. And so it is, in fact, a good thing that your partners stopped and looked after you. I get that it wasn't what you had hoped for for the evening, and I get that it feels vulnerable to have a panic attack while other people are having sex. But it's a sign that things are going well. That they stopped. And yeah, and I think if the situation were reversed, you would not feel only like, wow, what a drag. Mm -hmm. You might feel some frustration or a sense of incongruity, but I don't think you would think, wow, what a loser. I think you would be glad to know how that person needed you and, and to be able to provide that help. So I hope you can be a little kinder to yourself on that front. Beyond that, you know, I just want to point out, you say these panic attacks are not infrequent. The way that your partner was dating before the pandemic was hard for you a lot of the time. So I, I think Grace's idea that you put a pause on this for a while is a good one. Um, it's okay that it's not fair, you know. Uh, I think it's fine. Like yeah. you say, oh no, what if he was monogamous for a while and I was polyamorous? You might both want to shut it down for a period of a few months while you work through it with a couple's counselor together. Um, but it's also okay to do something that's not perfectly balanced all the time. This is not about trying to keep score. You know, obviously what's happening right now isn't working to begin with. So it's already not fair. You know, it's not fair that you're having a lot of panic attacks. Um, so I just, I, I would remove that kind of language. The goal here should be for you to both be really well taken care of and looked after and for you both to be as honest and loving and attentive as you possibly can. I think that's a really lovely way to wrap things up. Yeah, I think so too. I wish you both luck. And I know I was really angry with your partner. I hope you can get that angry too. One thing that you may or may not know about Danny is that he very frequently, I mean, I, you don't exactly do this on the podcast so much, but but maybe you do sometimes, I just haven't heard it, but you will get very, very, very angry at someone. And then having said the thing that is the, the thing of anger, you will then be able to adopt a kind of different perspective. 
yeah. immediately afterwards. It's not usually me. I'm not usually the object of this. <laughs> uh, just to be clear, if anyone was listening and thinking, oh, we now know. How, that's not how we fight. We have a different system. But that's often how Danny kind of interacts with the world, I would say. Yeah, it, it, it is not unusual for me to take a long time to realize that I'm angry about something and then even longer to contemplate saying something out loud about it. Yeah. And then often when I do, it is with the energy of, you know, this river's been running underground a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I have been able to get there, I can often do a better job of sort of sorting through what do I really care about here and what was just a sort of sense of, I've I've held my tongue too long. Um, and so... It's okay to get angry about this, even though you've been talking about it for years. And um, I hope that you can find different ways to discuss your anger that don't just immediately get cut off with him saying, I know I'm so awful. I'm so awful. Um, He needs to be able to engage in a clear-eyed fashion with what he did without just immediately going to, I'm the worst. You're right. And maybe you two will be able to figure out a way forward where you get to sit together and you both survive that anger. That would be good. There is a polyamorous life for you beyond feelings of shame. Yeah, I believe that to be true. Yeah, and you know, you can be polyamorous and love somebody and still break up. I think sometimes there's a sort of sense of like, if you're polyamorous, you, you should... Back yeah, yeah, exactly. You just rotate them to the back burner and find somebody else. You can actually really just also end a relationship. You can. You can. Even if it was otherwise quite good. Because you are describing something that's been pretty bad for a very long time. So I also just want to throw that out there. Um, you can just end a relationship. Yeah. That's okay. And good luck. Good luck. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. 